Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. To ask what is our aim, I can answer in one word, victory. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up. Sport has the power to change the world. It has the power to inspire. I was like, I, 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 what I did is I owned Jay Billis's book. Jay Billis wrote a book uh, on mental toughness. I've, re- I've read a little excerpt from his book. So yeah, I and know. his position is that uh, most players don't, most coaches use it as a buzzword. Most players use it as a buzzword, and, and most people misunderstand it. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying I agree with Jay Billis because Jay Billis and I don't, yeah, I don't agree with his basketball picks. <laughs> so, but I think he's got a perspective that says – uh, he calls it, you know, guys thumping their chest, um, guys, um, you know, trying to intimidate their opponent, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, is not mental toughness. Now, and and I'll I will just I'm just going to ask you this. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was a kid uh, in uh, and and I oh I forgot to say uh, this is Russ Yule on Lead Different with uh, Stone Eliezer is joining us, but our our primary guest is uh, Brahmin Creighton, right? I said that right. Yep, said it right. Uh, and uh, the big thing you need to know about Brahman, there's a lot more because uh, he's coaching and teaching, uh, but he's a two-time NCAA wrestling champion. Uh, and this is an anniversary. He says it's a long time ago. It's not. A long time ago is George Mikan. That's a long time ago, basketball player. George Mikan's a long time ago, but now 20 years ago is not long ago. That, that, that encompasses Michael Jordan. And yes, it does. A bunch of people. Tiger that, Woods. Yeah, I mean, that's. 1999. Yeah, yeah. The, the 20 years, that's nothing. nothing. I was. Uh, a, I was I was I watched the 1972 Olympics on television wow. and watched um, uh, uh, the uh, the U.S. team lose their first basketball game right. against the <clears throat> Russians in the 72 Olympics and cried as a little kid uh, because I was like I can't believe this is happening uh, to us. Uh, but uh, so yeah, I, I it, you've got a lot to say on on the on many topics, and today we're. We're going to encompass Brahman and Stone's thoughts about leadership leading different. And I just want to lay the framework out there for those listening and as well as for uh, Brahman and for Stone that um, we're trying to talk to leaders that both are in Silicon Valley, working in technology companies, to, to teachers, to coaches, to people that are entrepreneurs doing their own startups, to uh, moms at home or dads at home or wherever they are. Because uh, my view, we did a podcast some time ago about how important sports is for every single person that it teaches, whether you're going to be great at it or not. It teaches teamwork. It teaches inclusion. Uh, it teaches uh, 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 a sense of sacrifice for others and not promoting yourself. And so we're trying to get a lot of different views on leadership because they're, you know, I read a lot of business books and they have, I think uh, almost they they won't business writers wouldn't like this, but it's almost monolithic. It's like there's, there's, there's this one holistic view of leadership, and I think sports does a better job of almost anything, maybe hmm. the military, of showing you there's a whole lot of ways to lead and a whole lot of ways to motivate. And the way I know you uh, is from you uh, coaching Stone's son, who uh, I won't mention his name so he doesn't feel bad, but I remember him coming out to one of our programs called eSoccer, <laughs> and it was an inclusive program. He was about eight years old, and he cried because uh, he was so anxious about you know being involved yeah. and to watch him win a CCS championship because of your coaching that was a transformation of a human being to me and 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 I exactly. think that's, well I, I can't take all the credit for that Will did all the work and I, I said his name but that's all right that's yeah. okay um, it doesn't matter I yeah, he's a special it. guy <laughs> he's a special guy well you know so. I, my experience of coaching is and you can tell me 
um, my experience with coaching is I played basketball in high school, and I was a pretty selfish kid, meaning selfish player, meaning I wanted to be the star and I mm-hmm. wanted to shoot all the time. My coach had a philosophy that you're supposed to pass all the time. And so he and I were good buddies and had a good time, but he sat me on the bench a lot because I'd get in the game and it took me about mm, two minutes to start you know, putting on my show. Right. And uh, <laughs> he, he, he calls me one of his best team players ever, but that's how I was. But he shaped me and changed my mind about that. And mm-hmm. as an adult, I think more like he thought than I did as a kid. So I think coach, I mean, which my view on coaches is you do transform lives. But Absolutely. I know you want to give the credit because you all good coaches give credit to the player. But I think coaching is more important than people think today, but maybe I'm wrong. Well, I tell you with Will, um, it's so funny because the first time he had thought about being a CCS champion was when I said, hey, dude, you're going to win the CCS. Oh, really? And I remember Stone calling me either later that day or the next day and being like, hey, um, I don't want to get his hopes up. Um, let's, you know, let's temper expectations. Yeah. I don't remember exactly what you said, <laughs> but it was something like that. <laughs> and, and I basically told him, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what I see. Oh, wow. And just let me do my thing and uh, trust the process. Wow. And so and, and Will, we and, me and Will probably worked on the same set of skills from the very first day to the last day. He just happened to be an extraordinarily good athlete. He was – and he would have done – in the things you're talking about as an eight, eight-year-old, he still had in him at the very end. Yeah. Which is why I think he didn't place at the state tournament and he could have taken it to an, an even higher level. He's a very talented dude. Interesting. Um, it's emotional. You know, and it was it was emotional getting him to the top of that CCS podium. Right. Um, It was taxing physically. It was taxing emotionally. And he had never gone to that sort of deep water. Right. Um, But he did it. And I think after CCS, he was he was done. Yeah. Um, But that was such a pinnacle experience for him. Yeah. That we really he really got everything he needed to get out of wrestling from from that year and from that journey and that experience and then having it culminate and winning a championship in the way he did. So it was it was pretty special. Night. I, it's still I, special. I still have still the footage. I have the footage of that. that, that it was so match. special. Hearing you talk, uh, you know, it, it reminds me, one, of why I love sports, mm. all sports, mm. why I love coaching. I, I think as I've gotten older, I watch sports as much for coaching as I do for mm. playing. So do I. It's just fascinating for yeah. me to watch. Like last night I was in pain because Michigan lost to Texas Tech in March Madness, and it was brutal. And I love Michigan. I love the players. But, it, it, you know, they, they did what I did when I was 18, 19 years old. They got, they got in a bit of a bind against Texas Tech, mm-hmm. and it, it wasn't like their talent evaporated, but I saw something emotional happen to them mm. in the middle of nothing that they had traditionally been doing was working right. in the first half. And I bet – I bet you know a lot about that kind of lockup that happens when you're young. And so I want to take you back a little bit, if you don't mind, to winning winning national championships. Here's why that matters to me, because you know, I wanted to play for North Carolina in basketball when I was a kid. And I was like, man, I'm going to play. I'm going to do it. And then it just kind of landed on me. Oh, no, you're not. Because you could look at guys and you go, they're just better. Mm-hmm. But some of what I saw was they weren't just better physically, faster, taller. They were stronger. But at the time in my life, I didn't know that they were stronger inside. Mm-hmm. And I played against some kids who had grown up a lot tougher, a lot harder than I had. Mm-hmm. And, and they just didn't flinch. Uh, yeah. Like when a full court press was on, they did, that was not the worst thing they'd seen in life. For me, mm-hmm. I was fairly spoiled. Right. This is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Yes. But you, you, where'd you grow, did you grow up in Nebraska? I grew up in Nebraska and Omaha. Okay. And uh, 
you know, our family's from Iowa, and so I okay. was born in Waterloo, Iowa, which I always call the birthplace of wrestling. Oh yeah. Uh, Dan Gable yeah. is from Iowa. I love uh, I love Dan Gable. Dan Gable wrestled for Waterloo West High School, and oh. my father wrestled for Waterloo East High School. You're kidding. Yes. And uh, same same error. I think my father was either two years younger or two years older than Gable. But um, uh, And East was the all-black high school, uh-huh. and West was the all-white high school. Okay. And so it was super racially charged. Sure. And, and there was some unbelievable freak athletes at my father's high school. And um, – he just got. He had some amazing stories about uh, about Gable and about that time. And now, if you don't mind, rest- can I ask your dad's name? Leon. 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 He's okay. passed now. He passed uh, a couple years ago. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, just he's telling me about pickup wrestling matches in the neighborhood, and everybody wrestled. The coach at uh, who was the former coach at Wartburg University, which is Division Three. His name is Jim Miller. He's a Hall of Fame, super okay. super duper coach. Um, they were. Uh, colleagues or you know teammates and friends at the time, so just some unbelievable blue collar wrestling stories from that time. So I was born there. Okay, seventy six. We moved to Omaha when I was very little, and so high school and college in Omaha. Went to college at University of Nebraska Omaha, and then I came out here to coach for San Francisco State in two thousand two. Okay, so that's now kinda, well, here, here's the interesting sort of a uh, sort of a it's not a segue, but it's a, a it, our lives kind of come together. My dad, um, tremendous baseball player, tremendous basketball player, scholarship uh, to uh, a university in the South, Lane University, uh, during a time when, you know, African-Americans weren't going to be allowed to go to school with anybody but African-Americans at mm-hmm. certain universities. And um, and they couldn't play in the baseball league. So he played Negro Baseball League. Oh, wow. Um, and, and, and as soon as he was, as he was uh, um, selected to start, at second base, um, for at that time it was going to be the New Orleans Eagles, which you know I think they were one of the la- last Negro Baseball League teams to kind of get going and didn't get very far after the the good thing of the the, the Major League Baseball accepting African Americans. But he uh, got drafted by the military, oh, and wow. so he went in the military and never played again. Hmm. And and um, and I we I, I spent a lot of time in front of the television watching baseball, which I learned to despise because I was so bored. Right, but my da- I didn't understand. I didn't understand my dad. Like what you were talking about the stories, I didn't understand my dad was watching guys he played with, you know, mm. be in Major League Baseball, and he didn't close out that part of his life. The reason I bring it up is one: Dan Gable is arguably for those who are listening. Um, there's John Wooden and there's Dan Gable. I think when it comes to college coaching, uh, and I'm not sure which one is. It, it depends on which side of the aisle you're on who's the best of all time as far as college coaches. I mean, Krzyzewski's great, but I don't think he's John Wooden. I like Krzyzewski a lot, I do. And Dan Gable, man. I and I, I forgot what Olympics was, Sports Illustrated. 72. 72, yeah. Okay. Oh, man, he, the Sports Illustrated would write about that guy. And I, I wasn't a big – I could work in Michigan. Wrestling was big. Um, but I didn't know a lot about it. I could tell a story about it, but it wouldn't be probably good for a podcast about wrestlers teaching me a lesson. <laughs> <laughs> I got a little we teach mouthy. A lot of lessons. Yeah, we I, I got a little mouthy, and yeah. they were friends of mine. No. And they, especially they, their basketball players. Uh, <laughs> and that's what they did. They, they I, I, I can't get into the details, but they took me behind the curtain of the of the stage and taught me a lesson. And it wasn't it wasn't bullying. Right. It was educational. Right. And right. I never back again, then they didn't call it bullying. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and and they still don't. Those guys still don't. Right. But when I hear you talk about your dad and I hear you talk about Dan Gable, I think a lot of people understand that um, the, 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 the history, 
that's oftentimes behind champions. That's what I wanted to mm. say. Oh, yes. And, and there's a history behind you becoming a champion and the stories your dad told you and the things you saw and heard. It definitely doesn't happen by accident. I would challenge the whole Gable uh, um, wooden thing. I think Hill Sanderson is, is, is right there now okay. with, with Gable. Um, he's doing something special. Um, we could talk about why that is and the area and recruiting and how wrestling is nowadays. But, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of people that can teach well, I think. Really? Yeah, I do. T- tell me. There's a lot they can't as well, but there's tell, a lot Tell me, can't. okay, so tell me how, I have so many questions rolling through my mind. And Stone, you can jump in here, but you just got me going. I mean, I'm like, my mind is just <laughs> on fire right now. You said there, there's a lot of guys doing special things right now. And this Hill Sanderson, who I don't know much about, is doing some special things right now. But what separates coaches? Like, just what, what is that? Because di- it seems like you can get the, so two guys can have the same resources, and even one guy can have a little bit less, but the outcomes are so drastically different. Well, this is all just opinion, right? And I've yeah, seen sure. a lot. I've seen a lot of coaching. I've done a lot of coaching. Um, I think it's different on every level. I think a college coaches are have a much easier job than high school coaches. Okay, um, it's it's a lot of recruiting at the college level, especially you talk about the Division One level. Yeah, um, and those top ten, Big Ten type teams. Um, they're getting some unbelievable athletes. These kids are born right. on the mat. They wrestle year round. They've been on world teams. They've been to. They've had. I mean, some of these kids have more international wrestling by time they get to, to college than you know some of the the bigger names you've seen in the past. You know, right? Um, so when you're picking and choosing, and then you get them there, you just get to train them. I think Kale Sanderson has done something uh, really unique and. Where he's taken a lot of the fight and the rut, and they still fight. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, but he's taken the anxiety and the pressure out of it. And he, one of my favorite sayings that he says is, "Hey, just play the sport, just play the sport." And almost like we were playing basketball, you know, basketball is a game. Yeah, wrestling is a bout. Yes, wrestling is a match. Yes, yes, and wrestling is a fight. Yes, so that makes it a lot more uh, emotional. Ah, and a lot more at risk. Um, I talk about this in my classes all the time. They actually did a study, and they took uh, junior high to uh, senior age children, and they said, "What are the what's the most anxiety producing thing you can do in school?" Hmm. And it was twelve activities, and number one was uh, band solos. Was number one uh, thing really? And they had test taking and everything else on there. Band solos was number one. Number two was wrestling. No joke. And the wrestling was because there was this physical element to it where you could get hurt. Right. You get embarrassed, like like in a band solo, but you also get hurt. Yes. So uh, that's why wrestling is very anxiety-producing. I think, to me, just to kind of jump ahead to the concept of mental toughness. Yeah, let's do it. It's a misused word. I think that it really it means being able to whip anxiety. Hmm. If I can whip my own anxiety that locks up my body so I cannot execute, so I cannot be free to do the moves that I practiced, to do the skills that I practice, it's about whipping that anxiety and being able to whip it on demand, right? Mm. So, Wow, that's me- incredible. Mental toughness is like consistency. I remember one of the things you used to teach to our kids, Brahman, was <clears throat> used to say, I don't care if you got taken down 22 times in a row. Mm. The 23rd time, I want you to believe that you can win this one. And that's that, that in the ability to continue to overcome not only adversity, mm-hmm. but the mental 
challenge in your head that when you've experienced some failure, you experience some defeats that that's going to define you going forward. Yes. And I thought that was a great uh, uh, exercise, a great way to help the kids, too. I thought that was good. When you're on your way to being a champion, I think you have to be willing to suspend objective reality. And and if you're taking me down 22 times in a row, well, you're probably better than me. Probably. <laughs> but if I can suspend that objective reality and get one, in my mind, I'm better than you. I'm better than you. I, be, I took you down one time. I'm better than you. All those other 22, you kind of got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> and, and maybe I was just dumb enough to believe that or, or That's right. e- had enough ego to believe that. But, you know, when I learned – I learned this move called the low single. And once I got this move, it was like a new toy. And I really – I literally felt like I had got a superpower. Like I can do this whenever I want to anybody. Right. And so I was – John constant- Smith. Yes, and I was constantly looking for ways to practice my superpower, and I got so much belief in it that. Um, and I worked out as a freshman in college. I worked out with our, you know, with this 167 pounder. I worked out with a 174 pounder. What, what weight did you wrestle? I wrestled 126 okay. as a freshman. Okay, okay. And I got a lot of weight. I wrestled 135 as a senior in high school. So two years later, I still wrestled 126. Wow. So I got a lot of weight. I have Coach Oliver. I have a coach that I still talk to now. That coached me at UNO. He says, "Don't make your sons cut weight. You know, you cut enough weight for all of them." <laughs> <laughs> uh, you got that right. You I did cut enough weight I for did. all. Of them. So I would work out with these guys, and they would just beat me, bat me around like a little puppy dog, and they were kind to me. They didn't hurt me. Yeah, but they were just schooling me. But I literally was so had so much self efficacy in this one shot. Yeah. That I'm, I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna get the next one. I'm gonna get. I don't care how many times you take me. Down. Right. I'm gonna get it. If I could get one takedown against a 167 pounder, well, I can beat anybody. My weight. And wow. And uh, now that's that's a that's a a, a, a mental focused decision. This a, this a, a um, I forgot the term you used. Objective Sus- suspending objectivity. Objective reality. reality. Suspending objective reality. Suspending objective reality. That. So how, how do you do that? Uh well, I fell in love with wrestling. Okay. And. Um, I fell in love with this move and I fell in love with the style and I fell in love with the idea of being um, important and I wanted significance. There's a whole reason, a lot of reasons why I chose to be good at wrestling um, but that, have, that to... have nothing really to do with wrestling. It's more about like just search of significance. And that's true for everybody, isn't you know? it? Yeah. I mean, I everybody's looking for identity so. and a sense so. of wholeness in their life, mm-hmm. right? And And some people find it, some people don't find it. What I'm wondering about, because I don't think I, in, in sports, I, I obviously wasn't the athlete you were, but I'm wondering about how you how you dealt with your own anxiety, because I'm, I'm going to span this out to leadership and mental, the mental toughness. And I love your definition, and I'm going to read you a definition or a concept by Mike Krzyzewski in a minute, but I love your definition about whipping anxiety. I really love being able to do it on demand. <laughs> that yeah. spe- now, that wouldn't have had any resonance in the 80s because we didn't have anything that was on demand. But yeah. in society today, we go, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, that you can whip it on demand. That's incredible. But were, were you able to when you were – because you were a champion twice. Mm-hmm. Like, like I think if you're out there and you're not a, someone who played sports or whatever – it's hard to win. I remember just playing high school. We played a team called Granville in the season twice. We beat them. We were had only lost, I think, two games the whole season. Went through the tournament, beat everybody, played them again in the championship of the tournament, and lost. Mm. 
simply because we could not sustain. Right. We just saw him and we were like, uh, seriously, again? Yeah. It's hard to beat people more than once. And but I think this idea about anxiety is in a lot of leaders, people who run startups, people who live life. I know I talk to students that get over academics. Mm-hmm. Did you identify your anxiety when you were growing up and be able to say, okay, I know how to tackle it? So I've told this story so many times. It goes way back to when I was little, I first started wrestling before I even can remember wrestling. Okay. Um, I was pretty good. My dad worked with me a little bit and it wasn't near like it is today. Just wrestling was just different. Like it was seasonal, wrestled for the YMCA. Uh, My dad was one of the coaches. My uncle was a coach. Uh, My cousins were on the team. It was just. It was part of the culture, especially in Des Moines, Iowa, at the time when I was when I was um, little. Yeah, under ten, eight, eight, six, seven, eight, five, six, seven, eight years old, and I won because um, I don't know. I had a I, I, I don't know if I used call it ability, but I could I I knew my body pretty well uh-huh. for a, for a little guy, and uh, um, you know, little kids wrestling. So when I got to the fourth grade, I think, was the first time I actually lost a match. So I wrestled from, like, kindergarten to fourth grade. Okay. Won everything. And would pin everybody, too. Oh, wow. With a headlock, which is sort of funny. <laughs> I'm not a headlock guy. No, no, that, that's oh, what's okay. funny. He's I was always, like, yeah. wasn't funny to the guy getting the headlock. <laughs> well, well, There's about three fact, or four years of kids Coach out Creighton there. Coach Creighton using a headlock is the funny part. So, right. That's, uh, so uh, I lost my first match. I lost this guy named David Kilgard, and he pinned me, and he was a second grader. Whoa. And he pinned me, and I had never, basically never been beat. And my dad was like, you got beat by a second grader. And I was so, like, um, emotionally wrecked. Yes. And that the, my father kind of gave me a hard time about it. Yes. And I was I don't want to wrestle. I'm done. Okay. I don't want to wrestle. And I basically didn't wrestle till seventh grade. So fourth through seventh oh, grade, okay. didn't wrestle. I got to middle school, and I was better than the other kids because none of them had wrestled as little kids. Yes. And I still dealt with tremendous anxiety. High school, freshman, sophomore year, tremendous anxiety. I would find ways to lose. And I wanted to please my father. I wanted to please my coaches. And it was very old school coaching. And I came from, quote, unquote, a good program. Sure. And, quote, unquote, had, quote, unquote, good coaches. Um, they weren't bad coaches. They wouldn't be what I consider really good coaches because they weren't awesome communicators. Okay. And – to me, it's about I have to be able to communicate what's in my brain and in your brain. I have to use the right motive and the right action for motivation to get you to do what I want you to do and the things that I know will get you to a higher level. Right. right? So they would say things like, hey, Creighton, get tough. And I'd be like, I don't know how. <laughs> I don't Tell me how to get tough. Be more specific, please. <laughs> um, and they'd say, hey, move your feet. And I say, you want to move my feet like this? You want to move my feet like that? I don't tell me how to move my feet. Be specific. And so I, one of the ways I coach, I try to coach like I wanted to be coached. Oh boy! Like be specific with me. You know? Yes. Tell me exactly what you mean. Yes. I'm not that gifted. I'm not Magellan. I didn't wake up knowing how to do this stuff. Nobody knows how to drive a car when they're born. Right. We have to learn this. Yes. And you need to learn the process. And. Um, like you, I probably wasn't tough enough, didn't come from a tough enough environment on a daily basis to just be one of those hard-nosed kids. Exactly, yeah. I was not hard-nosed. And so um, my mother, of all people, was she saw me struggling. She saw me struggling to make weight. She saw me losing matches that I should win. She saw me. I would get to the finish line literally and trip and somebody else would win. And I'm, that's a metaphor, but yes, that's I no. did that on the mat. Understood. Constantly. And uh, – 
I remember the state tournament. I got beat out at the state tournament my sophomore year by a kid that I could beat, had beaten before. He had beaten me, but I kind of just rustled soft. Yes. And they both were like, 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 boy, what was that? Right. And both of my parents were tough enough to say that wasn't good enough. Yeah. What was that? Yeah. You was like a wimp. Right. And some mommy, my, my wife won't say that to my kids. Yeah. You know, I'll say it. Sure. But my wife won't say it. Yeah. And I think it's easier when the mom will say it. I would agree. When your mom's going to go, when your mom's going to hold you accountable. My mom did. You're not, you don't have any place to hide. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I didn't really have a place to hide, but she was willing to help. She was, my mom, my mother's probably the best coach I ever had. She's brilliant. She was on, she was anchor woman, 25 years on, in Omaha uh, TV. No kidding. Really uh, sharp lady. And so she went and sat in the bookstore and sat there for an hour and read through all these motivational books. And she picked out the book that was for me. And I happened to have a shoulder surgery from football at the time. I was very fragile. That's French for yes. fragile. fragile. Yes. And uh, so I got hurt and I was in the hospital. I had open uh, 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 inpatient surgery for my shoulder. She bought me this book. It was the first book. I was a junior high school. The first book that it's embarrassing that I ever willingly read cover to cover. I think okay. there are a lot of kids out there listening that would relate to you completely. I mean, you know, when you're in school, you just read enough to get the assignment done. <laughs> or I was maybe the, when I was I, in fourth I was grade, <laughs> I did some adventure, choose your own adventure books. Those were cool sure. for a while. But I was not a reader. Yeah. And I am now, but right. I was not then. And I read this book and it was like, how do they know so much about me? Oh, wow. And it gave me some practical things to do to work on my mental toughness, to work on quote unquote mental toughness, to work on my emotional control to work on beautiful in in the book the guy who's really has been a mentor without ever meeting the guy for me for years his name is james leor he wrote the book um this whole concept of your ideal performance state became like my mantra and how to find my ideal performance state and it was just as lethal as my low single right so now i have this book and all these mental tools, right. and I have this newfound skill, and I started working a lot harder, and then I started having these leaps in athleticism. Like I got stronger and faster than I'd ever been, and then I'm like, almost like, wow, what can I do with this? And and I made some like decisions. I'm I'm done losing. It wasn't like I want to win this yeah. X time. I want to I want to stop losing. What I want to do. I don't want to lose wow. anymore to anybody. Ever. Wow. Which is a lot of pressure, too, because until yeah. I was probably 30-some years old, I had to be the toughest guy in every room I was in, yeah. which is not necessarily healthy. But, <laughs> um, but it, Well, you've it, already achieved that in this room. Well, thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. With me. I knew that when I walked in. But. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. You anyway, didn't want to be the one to bring stop it up. It, stop it. <laughs> so, no, but this, like, um, Discovering that stuff all at the same time. and I then think that, You know, I think that's a key word you just used. Like when I'm listening to you talk, I go, okay. And I was a super reader, right? Mm -hmm. But I didn't – the thing that's the thing that I see about you, and I'm, you know, Stone probably had what you had too, is even though you stopped wrestling from fourth grade to seventh grade, your, your reasoning behind it was it sounds like to some degree you were – I mean, you were very young. You were still discovering yourself. But what your mother did is she helped you discover – who you were and that what you're basically saying, you said uh, uh, emotional control. And I, you know, I think I still have trouble with that and I'm long out of high school, but it, it, that's a tremendous definition for mental toughness and probably makes mental toughness a, 
a, a, a bit of a cliche mm-hmm. and that what you're really talking about is the capacity to know yourself well enough to control yourself right. under anxious and difficult times. And here's an interesting quote. I'll be, I'll be interested to see what you, you think about it. Mike Krzyzewski, uh, in the book that Jay Billis wrote called Developing True Strength on and off the court, uh, said we may be born into a great family situation or a difficult family situation that forces or conditions you to be tough, but we aren't born that way. Toughness comes from how you handle your experiences, what you learn from them, and how you're guided through them by others in your life. And of course, I would put your mom down under there as as others in your life, and that, that and your dad obviously too. Um, but it it seems to me that part of your if I think you develop leaders, so let me just get that out there. When you're working with these kids, whether yeah. or not they go on to lead two people, uh, twenty people, two hundred people, or just themselves, I think you lead, you develop leaders. I appreciate that. Um, and so I think sometimes the and I talk to guys in Silicon Valley about this who run companies. They 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 didn't come from a sports background or athletic background, and I and I tell them you're missing something about leadership because a lot of what I feel like I learned about leadership internally. And most of it, unfortunately, I figured out after I was done playing because <laughs> I went back and reflected and said, why wasn't I better in certain situations? And it's because I didn't have some of the maturity inside that other guys I played with did. And talent is always a factor. But I think that not having – if you don't have emotional control, you can't harness your talent. Would that be correct? I agree 1,000%. This quote by by uh, by Coach Krzyzewski, he uh, reminds me a lot of Mike Denny. Um, my my college coach. He's still coaching at the University of Maryville. He's seventy two. Wow, I believe. Um, I always tell stories about Coach Danny, and he gets greater every time I tell the story. He's like <laughs> he gets taller, he gets hair, his hair gets darker, he gets younger. <laughs> but uh, uh, Coach Danny, between my mother and Coach Danny and my father, um, Coach is like a second father to me. I mean, it's really deep, and I still get a text from Coach Danny every day. You're kidding. Every day. Every day. Every day. Well, I'm not the only one. It's yeah. like 89 people on this text chain. But no, he but I mean, that's incredible. And I'm glad to be one of the 89. Absolutely. And uh, it's a motivational thing. Like, I could even read you what he sent today. It's, yes. Uh, he's, he's, he's very consistent. What is Coach Denny? That's amazing. Okay. Success follows those teams and individuals that are willing to fight for every inch of improvement, those that are willing to do 100 things 1% better coach wow so i mean it goes on and on one percent better every day so i i don't know i was just talking to some of my colleagues today like i think that for you to be a great leader you have to have been a good follower at some time in your life oh that's beautiful yep and um i know when i lead and my son will point this out about my own coaching and whenever your kids tell you something about yourself it's like oh geez it's embarrassing but it's like (laughs) putting a mirror up to your face yeah. where he says, you don't like that kid because he won't conform. <laughs> I'm like, how do you know that about me? And stuff? But you're right. Yeah, You need to conform, kid. And Because we're trying to go this way. Yes. And I know where we're going and right. you need to get on board because I have the vision. Yeah, And um, obviously, we're not trying to st- stamp out any individualism, but we all got to be on the same page yes. if we're going to yeah. have success. And so I had a lot of practice with Coach Denny, and he set a standard of excellence that is still relevant in my life every day. Um, I think sometimes it causes me problems because I expect things to be like Coach Denny yes. would have them be. Yeah, you got and standards. And I'm not Coach right? Denny. Yeah, I can't fill Coach Denny's shoes. Um, I don't have Coach Denny's uh, 
uh, what's the word my guy Stephen A. Uh, Smith uses Stephen A. Jack- Stephen A. Smith. He says he's a cachet. I don't have the cachet okay. that Coach Denny has, but uh, I want to be Coach Denny in, in a lot of ways. And I think everybody that that competed for Coach Denny wants to be him in some sort of way. And so um, the Bay Area is not Nebraska. And no, nor, nor anywhere else in the Midwest. No. Um, and so things don't work like that here. But the standard of excellence is still there, and and that was that's all. And it Mike sounds Denny. like what you're trying to do. And uh, I want us to take a little bit of a break if you can stay around a little bit longer, sure. Uh, just to give us a, a stand up break. But it sounds like what you're trying to do is bring all of the richness of mom and dad, uh, two or three coaches in your life, Denny being be important. The the I grew up in Midwest too. The Midwest there's a Midwest culture. Hmm. That still exists today, and I think it's misunderstood generally in the West Coast. Oh yes, and, and, and completely. That it's a long. I mean, we could get into a whole talk oh, yeah. about that. But you're trying to bring that, interpret that, and communicate that to kids here. And when I, I when I was I was home not long ago, uh, bring, you know, bringing my mom out, and um, I was talking to some of my friends about how it is there in col- uh, high school sports and college sports, and. They said it's changed, you know, because obviously the, the coaching culture has changed. You you don't say or do some of the things maybe you used to say or do. Mm-hmm. Um, but the culture of, of, it, of sports in the Midwest to me was part of community. Yeah. And it was how you knew people. It's how you made friends. And even I didn't play baseball, but I would go down to the softball diamond or the baseball diamond and where they had all the little league games because all my friends, brothers and sisters would be playing. Mm-hmm. I live like a walk from it. I dribble my basketball everywhere. So I dribbled down. And I just sat there and talked to my friends and watched. And it, it wasn't about we're playing baseball. It was about this is our community. I went, I went to, Stone doesn't even know this, I went to a number of wrestling matches in my school because I, I, I was a sports editor for the newspaper, so I would write about wrestling, which was, I had to learn about it. And we had really good wrestling teams. Uh, and I was like, I could never do it. I used to be getting ready uh, for practice, and I'd see uh, Jeff Binscotter. He was one of our All-State guys trying to cut weight. Had this plastic thing all on him. He's trying to sweat. He's Memories. got lemons, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, you know what I said to myself? I, I could never play that sport uh-huh. because I, I, I just don't think I could bring myself to do it. You know, and when I hear you talk, I think there's so much, and I hope the kids that you work with know this. There's so much you're trying to package and communicate about a culture mm. of sports that is more than about even winning or whatever. It's about family. And when I hear you talk, I hear you talking about family. When I hear you talking about your son, you're talking about family. And, right. um, and to me, that great leaders come out of those environments. Yeah. And I, when I was reading about this, and, 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 I, and, I, and, I, and I, I, I kind of recommend that book for you, although I don't know that you would learn as much as you might be aggravated by some of the things he gets wrong. <laughs> uh, but the, the, the thing he says here about, he called it toughness, developing true strength on and off the court. I think that comes a little bit closer to the insights and awareness and philosophy you have is it giving somebody the internal toughness to be able to do what they need to do when that anxiety and fear jumps on them on demand. So next time around, I want to talk when we take a break, I want to talk about how you look at developing leaders from that mindset of coaching, meaning coaching leaders. I know that's not what you don't go into a, a, you know, a Facebook and coach up the, the developer, the the product managers, but you could. I think I could, yes. I was going to say you could. could, yes. And so I think maybe talk a look <laughs> at that. And if we decide to get crazy, maybe we'll talk a little about politics and about why oh. why certain people crumble 
and other people don't crumble. Not that you have to talk about anything political, because I watch some political leaders, they wilt underneath the pressure, and others tend to stay on. I mostly think others are from the 60s and the and that the old days. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot I think we could learn from you about how do you sustain it? How do you keep going? Well, I tell you, I have a lot to learn about having a thick skin as well. It's one of the reasons that I, I would never go into politics. I, I'm I'm used to adulation. And the fact that you're brilliant. That you, it shows your intelligence that you wouldn't go into politics. <laughs> <laughs> That's just sheer brute intelligence. But yeah, you got to be tough for that. Yeah. And I don't know if I have that type of toughness. But uh, Well, why do it when you can do right. it? You do. I mean – I, I, I was it's way more uh, fun to do this. Well, and you change lives. I change can t- lives. I can tell you the names of all my coaches, starting with Mr. Eastwood in That's seventh beautiful. grade. I can tell you Mr. Vaughn when I was on football team. I can yep. tell you every coach I ever had That's... and the impact they had on me. And some of them didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> and But still, it was <laughs> like I learned to follow. Thanks a lot, Norman. We'll go into the second session in just a little bit and talk more about leadership specifically. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.